0: Hello people of the world and welcome to today's episode of the unity project podcast for those of you who are tuning in for the first time The unity project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies This week's episode is incredibly special to me because it is somebody who I listen to every single morning almost on Insight Timer, the meditation app, who is not sponsoring this podcast, but it is the app that I use and am so fortunate to have found Julie Ella Grace on there. She has incredible meditations and yoga practices and so many things. Julie is a writer, painter, yoga teacher, and she has a passion for teaching and helping others to live more authentically and joyfully. We talked about so many good topics, things from yoga, so much about yoga. She answered all these <laughs> questions about yoga that I had, like talking about. What yoga does to the mind and the body and just why that practice is so special. And we went into a lot about meditation and how she got into that world and how we don't need to literally be sitting and meditating to meditate and how just whatever you do that you love is just like meditating for you. Just like yoga is meditating for her or I, or anyone who does yoga, knitting could be (laughs) meditating for somebody else, and that's incredible. But we also talked about her story and experience with cancer. She was diagnosed at age 19, and before that, she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's, which is actually what my partner Kaylee has, so it was... Not fun that they have Hashimoto's, but fun to connect the dots and connect her and Kaylee on that. Kaylee actually pops in at the end to meet Julie, who has become such a good friend in such a short amount of time. Julie is incredibly lovely. She has so much just kindness and joy and brightness in her that I can just, oh man such such a good human so yeah i hope that you enjoy we talk so much about those things the body all the things you can think of we talk about them probably (laughs) but anyway uh yeah so you guys enjoy If you guys are enjoying the Unity Project podcast and you want to support and get more involved, then I would be so, so honored and just thankful if you went over to my Patreon page for the Unity Project where you can give as little as $1 a month and become a big part of why I get to actually make this podcast and to help me continue to make this podcast and continue having these really cool interviews about topics that I really think are going to change the world if we talk about more. Or you can go pick up a copy of my book, Finding Home. You can do that at my website, com. Or if you can't afford to support me financially, that is absolutely okay. Leaving a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. That helps so, so much more than I think we give credit to. So any of those things are wonderful. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Julie, how is it going over there on the other side of the big pond in Italy?
1: Yeah, it's it's beautiful here and. Um... Yeah, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's everything you think Italy would be. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, it is so, so great to have you on the
0: podcast. For those listening, I have never met Julie. I would do anything in the world to be able to just hop, skip, and then jump over to Italy right now if everything was different. But we just got to know each other for like almost an hour, and she is so lovely. So, so Mm. lovely. And I can't wait for all of us to learn more about your story.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me yeah. here.
0: Of course. So I found, I found you on Insight Timer, which is a meditation app, but also you were talking about yoga. They do that too on there. I don't know if I even yeah, knew Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Insight Timer actually this past year launched live meditation and live yoga classes. So anyone can join. They're free, um, but you can make donations and yeah, they're just, they're beautiful. You can Practice with people all around the world—people in Australia and America, and Europe, and uh, South America, and Africa, and Asia. Yeah, I've got all of them except Antarctica. They've all oh. been there. <laughs> oh, we got to get down to Antarctica, man! Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is
0: amazing. Well, I was—I was telling her earlier that I jumped on Insight Timer one time and started meditating on there for the first time and I can't remember it was either like the first or second one that I heard was yours and there was no going back after that It was like okay every morning I'm listening to Julie's morning meditation because it's just so calming and beautifully written. Thank you. But yeah Julie how are you feeling about this podcast about the topic of bodies and whatnot?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, as you said, we've been talking for a while before we've started recording, and um, I think there's a lot that we can say about uh, these vessels that we live in. (laughs) Um, Oh, man.
0: Oh, my gosh. It is definitely a very, very layered conversation, which I'm so excited to hear just just the pieces of your story come together. I was reading a bit of your writing and listening to your spoken word. And of course, as I mentioned, your meditations and whatnot. And so I feel like I have an outline of it. So I'm excited to hear more. But to, to start this off, do you want to describe the relationship that you have with your body?
1: <laughs> um... Sure. <laughs> yeah, you're so, like, all right. What did yeah. you said No. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's all then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, to describe the relationship that I have with my body, um, it, it sort of needs to be broken up into a narrative um, insofar as I would say the relationship that I had with my body growing up was almost non-existent. Um, Insofar as I wasn't totally aware of it, and I certainly wasn't aware of how to take care of it. Um, And I also, I think, from that, eventually, I would say that my body had become my enemy. Um, I was bullied a lot growing up. I was quite overweight. And... You know, my family, we moved a lot. And so it's really hard when you when you go to a new school and you're like labeled the fat kid when you get there. And it just always seemed like. There was something wrong with me, but it was just about how I looked. I because I think inside somehow I knew like, oh, like I'm nice. Like there are some cool things about me. Like, why are people being mean to me? Ah, It's this like it's this body. And so so then from from there and uh, yeah I think from there I I developed um you know a difficult relationship with my body which ended up culminating in an autoimmune disease when I was 14 which then had morphed into thyroid cancer when I was 19 and that actually was such a blessing because Having cancer at nineteen, and it was a it was a cancer that so thyroid cancer is a pretty good cancer to get if you're going to get a cancer. Uh, <laughs> I picked that one, <laughs> yes, um, because um, you can actually live without your thyroid gland. Modern medicine can be really amazing in so far as this the fact that you can remove this gland from your body and you can take synthetic hormones, and it's never as good as the real thing. But we can do it, and it keeps me alive to this day. And so it had um the cancer had obliterated my thyroid and it had actually spread in the lymphatic system. And so I actually have a a scar that um that crosses from the top of uh my neck on the right side and it kind of comes down in a nice J shape. So J for Julie, I guess. Yes, J <laughs> for Julie. And <laughs> um yeah. And so but that was that was a really fantastic experience, which sounds ridiculous, but it was a fantastic experience because it made me so aware of my body and it made me aware of sort of the mind body spirit connection. I think I grew up in an academic family and I used academics and overachieving at academics as a way to validate myself when I felt like I wasn't being accepted in other ways. And so and it was and I, I think you know so many of us we have this innate spiritual side, but that can become compounded by dogmatic religions, or it can also uh, you know I had a lot of friends who were really into the sciences or mathematics and and they didn't you know they would see my spiritual side as something sort of beneath the the sciences and so it was all about my mind for so many years, and then to have it be about my body just it sort of, it was this amazing push into my body to say, okay, you need to listen to this. And by getting into my body, it actually allowed me to get into my spirit as well. Um, I started doing yoga during, <laughs> during, during the, the phase after the initial surgery, which is quite a big surgery. <clears throat> they ended up, um, because they had removed the thyroid and they removed fifty-two lymph nodes, and there's this period where you can't be on thyroid replacement hormones afterward, and you have to take like, this radioactive iodine. <laughs> like it's this whole, you know, it's actually a much smaller procedure for cancer treatment than what so many people go through. But during that time, I felt really awful, understandably. Yeah, can and can imagine. Yeah. Oh, my um, gosh. And, and then I was... So this was in 2004, and I was 19 years old, and I grew up in northern Michigan. And at this time, in 2004, there were definitely no yoga studios in northern Michigan. And mm-hmm. my best friend had come home for the summer, and... And one day I was like, you know, I need to do something like I need to move like this is like I just I feel terrible all the time. And I was like, have you ever done yoga? And she was like, isn't that like that stretching thing? And I said, "Well, I think so. I don't know. You tell me." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe? Maybe. Yeah, exactly. And so we went to Meyer, which if you have any listeners in Michigan, they will know what Meyer is. It's basically, and I think it, Meyer's extended past Michigan at this point, but it's basically like a Michigan version of Walmart. And mm. growing up in northern Michigan, there was nothing to do. We would often just go to Meyer and walk around because there's nothing to do. Classic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, and so we went to Meyer and and we found a yoga dvd and it was called fat blasting yoga with denise austin and oh. and it was not what i know yoga to be at all now but it started me on that path it was this 50 50 50 minute video And it would take me about an hour and a half to get through it. I would pause it and I would pant and I was like, what is this torture? And yet I just kept coming back to it every single day. And and that was sort of the start of having a healthier relationship with my body. Although I would argue that I didn't find any kind of balance in that relationship until my 30s. I think throughout my 20s, it was a lot of polarities and uh, being sort of thrown out into the deep end of the health world and trying to figure out how to swim back to shore. (laughs) So.
0: Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of what I'm hearing you saying is, is growing up, you were very much not wanting to be in your body given how you were feeling you were seen and the circumstances so you kind of stayed in your mind and just found your worth through academics is what you were saying
1: absolutely Absolutely. okay
0: that makes sense so then that leading into um first the autoimmune disease and then cancer now it's kind of like forcing you to be in your body Mm -hmm. if you wanted to like stay alive
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure I even had the, the option. It's funny because I was 19. So technically I was legally an adult, but my parents made every decision, which actually was quite disempowering for me. I would say through that whole process. Um, yeah, my parents made every decision about where I was treated and they would respond to what the doctors would suggest. Um, I was almost not consulted about it. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure I had the, choice of going, nah, I'll just, I'll just leave it. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh my
0: goodness. Yeah.
1: What, what autoimmune disease did you have? If you so, don't mind me asking. No, not at all. Um, so I had Hashimoto's disease, which I still oh, technically okay. do know it.
0: <laughs> yeah. My, my girlfriend has it actually. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. I call it quasimoto's for some reason. It's just <laughs> sounds more exciting to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Maybe I should start calling it that. Yeah, I think I. it did. makes it more fun Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think <laughs> I still technically have it because it's antibodies, but I've never been able to get a straight answer on this. And I kind of almost don't care anymore because I've, I've learned what works for my body and I take my medicine as I need to. And it's like, well, the name doesn't really matter at that point. But uh, Quasimodos yeah. does sound. Much better.
0: <laughs> Wait, so do you have to take? Um, I know that she had to cut out gluten. And she takes um, some kind of medication every morning like 30 mm-hmm. minutes before she eats. Is that mm-hmm. what you do?
1: Yeah, this is all correct. I mean Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so as you mentioned, I'm in Italy right now and the gluten oh, thing no. has yeah, oh, that, no. that was very traumatizing for, for my boyfriend's family for sure. because um, oh they're Italian and so to to kind of go, No, I, I don't I you know, <laughs> when I first oh when I first got to the them I was vegan and gluten free and they were Ooh. they were just like can, can you please Stop. take her back to wherever you got her, take her back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: god Wait, have, have you seen the movie you might not have but in My Big Fat Greek Wedding oh I
1: love it yeah oh
0: my gosh you know the part where they're like you don't eat no meat yeah, and they're yeah. so upset
1: and then she <laughs> says yeah but then and then the aunt goes that's okay, <laughs> that's, okay. <laughs> that's okay I make lamb <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: oh my gosh that is so funny I can't even imagine first of all just the personal torture you must go through not being able to eat gluten in Italy Oh my gosh, it's hard enough in America because I tried to be not really gluten-free with her, but like we bought like gluten-free noodles. Yeah, in solidarity. I'm like, all right, well, okay, we'll eat gluten-free noodles and gluten-free bread. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this. I'm just not going to do it because I have an option.
1: (laughs) Well, I have something interesting to say on that front, though, which is that... On and off over the years, I have tried gluten and I always have a reaction to it and I always regret it. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this. Like, you know, it will be like, I'll be somewhere and it'll be a special occasion. I'll be like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just, I'll just do it. Um, Yeah. I did that in Southern Italy um, last summer and I didn't have a reaction. And we were kind of shocked. Um, And of course, it's sourdough. But even I've made sourdough for friends and family at at home. We live in the UK usually. And um, even, even then, when I've made it at home in the UK, I have reactions to it. But then here, I can have it not every day, but I seem to be able to have it every few days and not have any Serious response to it, because usually right away, my body alerts me, and I'm convinced that um, there's probably something to do with the hybridization of certain wheats that we have in America, especially and in so much of the rest of the world, where here there's sort of a lot of wheat that's just grown in volcanic soil. I don't know what it is, but anyway okay I am convinced that uh, not. I don't know that that not everything is the same as far as even gluten, that depending on how it's grown and where it's grown, it might interact with your body differently, but I don't
0: know. Okay. That's hopeful to hear. Then we just need to get over You just need to go to Southern (laughs) Italy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Let's just go. I mean, there's, that's one more of the millions of reasons we need to
1: go to (laughs) Southern Italy. Italy.
0: Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you got diagnosed with that when you were 14, you said?
1: I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's at 14. Yeah.
0: Okay. How did that feel like to hear and to know like growing up thinking your body works one way and then all of a sudden being told you need to change all this stuff in the middle of like you not even wanting to connect with your body or think about it in general, I'm assuming. Like, what did that look like for you?
1: It's an interesting question. And when I was 14, no one spoke to me about diet. And in fact, when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed because I was having really difficult symptoms. And at first the, apparently the, the doctor had said to my parents, they were worried that I had leukemia. No one had told me this, but they were worried I had leukemia and they were going to do some biopsy. And then at the last minute, the doctor thought to do this test and it turned out to be Hashimoto's, but no one spoke to me about diet, learning about problems that my body was having with gluten and with uh, dairy that came through learning to listen to my body throughout my 20s. And then I started to read about all of these people going, yeah, you shouldn't have these things if you have this disease. So no medical practitioner ever spoke to me about about diet, which I think this is one of... This is something I'm actually quite passionate about, this idea that we need to have more integrative medicine and holistic medicine um, and better understandings of of how our bodies react uh, in certain circumstances. But what is interesting in all of this is when I was in high school, I started to have these dreams shortly after the diagnosis of the Hashimoto's disease. I started to have dreams when I was sleeping, not daydreams, just like actual nighttime dreams about there being a cancer in my neck. And I would have this dream every so often. And I even said to a few of my friends, like, I feel like I'm going to get cancer before I'm 18. And they were like, oh my God, stop being so melodramatic. And it's, you know, I suppose, you know, you're a teenager. So you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'm being melodramatic or whatever. (laughs) But like, I and then to it's i feel like it's like some part of my body or my spirit because thyroid cancer is actually really slow growing so it's possible it had been there even for a few years before it was diagnosed mm. so it just feels like there was some mind body spirit connection that was there was already the seed that was there kind of going hey 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 like listen listen to us um we need to tell you this and and then funny enough I, on Thanksgiving day, this was my sophomore year of undergrad, I, I felt this lump at the top of my neck on the right side. And I knew, I just knew straight away. I didn't know what it was as far as what type of cancer. I just knew it was a cancer and I knew that it was going to change my life. And I just remember sitting in my bedroom, just sort of fumbling around, feeling this lump in my neck and just going okay. Um, and then waited until the next day to say to my parents, we need to get this checked.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Did that feel like terrifying or did it feel kind of vindicating from your dreams or I'm sure it was a combination of lots of things.
1: Interestingly, I think it was probably one of my earliest experiences of just acceptance. Um, I don't think, I think some of the fear that I felt came later. And I think there was there wasn't really a sense of, of any vindication. It was just more this sense of like, okay, so this is what's happening now. And which is also a blessing, like just to be able to drop into that space of, okay, so this is now.
0: Mm. Okay. Okay. What did it look like after that? You went to get it checked. Did you find out pretty quickly that it was cancer?
1: Um, funny enough, they did one, uh, needle aspiration and it came back negative, but the doctor thought, no, this is, this is too big for that. And that can have a small failure rate. So they sent me to get it biopsied at the local hospital. And for whatever reason, my only memory of this, um, so I was 19 and I just remember the anesthesiologist was very handsome (laughs) (laughs) Memorable, yeah. And and he was just putting me out. And I remember because it was the first time I'd been under general anesthesia. And I just remember thinking like, Well, if this is it, fine. (laughs) I can go out like this. I can go out like this. Like if that's the (laughs) line. I I wasn't boy crazy at all, but I just remember looking at him, and he was particularly beautiful. And I was like, Okay, (laughs) that'll
0: do it. That'll do. do.
1: That'll calm the nerves.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, I'm reading in your in your work kind of how you talk more about how cancer, which I think you mentioned, instilled the desire or wait, where is it in my notes? Oh, it woke you up to the disconnect that existed between your mind, body, and spirit. And then later on you wrote about how it instilled a desire to control everything with your body mm. and your destiny. What did that look like?
1: Oh, I definitely developed I would say, quite bad anxiety. And it it manifested in different ways. So really shortly after the cancer, that same year, I had an internship at the UN in New York. And I went basically from northern Michigan, growing up on the edge of a forest and going to a small liberal arts college in Michigan to being smack in the center of Manhattan, um, right after these cancer treatments. And that definitely wasn't the healthiest move, but I wouldn't have known it then. And so that developed into just really controlling what I ate because I was looking at everyone around me and thinking, oh my God, they're so stylish and they're so beautiful and I don't fit in here. And, and so I would really control my food. And then it just, it, it kind of, it didn't snowball into a full eating disorder, but very much was a type of disordered eating. And I would say that I had disordered eating throughout my twenties where I would go, you know, on these massive restrictive diets. Um, there was this period, I mean, raw veganism might work for some people. It definitely didn't work for me. I became super neurotic and, um, it was just, and, and like, I would, you know, I did this marathon and I, trained really hard. And there was no balance. There was just, it was like, I went from this extreme of having been like this really unhealthy kid to then being like, no, I need to be healthy. I need to, I need to do everything I can to be healthy. And so instead of my body being the enemy, it was almost like food became the enemy, or maybe the body still was the enemy. Actually, it was like, I never really learned to embrace and to nourish my body. Um, Until, until I was in my thirties, I would say. So, so I think, yeah, I think that fear, um, not even of dying, but just of, I don't know, just the ways that it manifests, it all continued through, through that sense of, okay, what can I do to, to just control this body and, and therefore control my life, which of course Mm. is, um, not possible like, we really
0: can't yeah. control
1: life <laughs> so
0: <laughs> oh gosh that's so relatable though a therapist when i was because i was in treatment for an eating disorder last mm. year at the beginning of last year and one of the things that a therapist told me about the whole like control thing that was really interesting was she said that uh we try to control our outside world with our or by controlling our inside world mm-hmm. so we think like if i can control whatever's inside of me like what goes into me, what comes out, like that Mm -hmm. whole thing. uh, Then whatever the outside world, which we cannot control, we can control in our brain. And so it's just this very, it it makes a lot of sense because it really like, I like to see it as a, a survival strategy. Of course. Because so many things, I just talked last week about how Any sort of disordered eating is like a way for women to gain back social power because women who don't fit this social ideal, Mm. uh, they don't get listened to and they don't get validated or looked Mm -hmm. at or whatnot. And so in order to be listened to, we go to eating disorders or we go to disordered Mm -hmm. eating or whatever that looks like, like overexercising. Mm -hmm. And it really is just like a way to be heard and seen. And so I could just... Imagine that would like that move combined with, "Oh, you just got news that you have cancer, oh my gosh, like it makes so much sense that you moved into that kind of world to try to get by,
1: yeah, of course, and i th- I totally agree with what you're saying about uh, this idea of of it being about being heard, right like um. And before we started recording, we talked a little bit about this idea of the energetics of the body. And (laughs) when I told one of my yoga teachers, this is actually one of the men who trained me in my yoga teacher training. When I told him about having had the thyroid cancer, he actually said to me, did you feel like you didn't have a voice growing up? Oh, wow. Wow. And I was like, funny you should say that, Um, because I definitely didn't feel like I had a voice growing up. And I think, you know, of course, you know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. But I've really come to believe that the body often in so many ways. Right. So, you know, in what you're saying about you know, using an eating disorder as, as this sort of roundabout way of trying to be heard, trying to be seen. And then in the same way that sometimes when we're not heard or seen, we manifest illnesses in certain parts of our bodies. Um, even Even things like so in, in the yoga community, one of the things we talk about a lot is the idea that grief is something that can manifest in the lungs or fear is something that, you know, might show up in the kidneys. And for some people, this sounds like nonsense. Um or that the hips are the junk drawer of the body, which I really, having taught yoga for 10 years, I can testify to the fact that that is true. Like you can put someone into a hip opening position and they will just suddenly start to cry. It's like something Mm -hmm. releases our bodies store so much. And I think, you know, for me also, like I had this I was saying to you before, like, I I had this really big belly growing up, like, I, I just, it was like this particular shape that almost made me look like I was pregnant, even though I was little. And, um, and I really now thinking about it, think it was, it was almost like my body was trying to protect me, trying to, trying to protect those vital energy centers, you know, our core is I mean, if you think about cats right like you don't mm-hmm. pet the cat's belly they don't like when you pet their belly they're just showing you their belly because they trust you because there's there's so much vulnerability all our vital organs are there so they're just showing you like yeah i trust you don't touch and, and i, think, and <laughs> I, I think, didn't know that now yeah. i get why i yeah. got clawed <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah because you're a dog sense.
1: person too i mean i love both oh, yeah. I, I, and i'm a massive dog person and i, I mean i'm mm-hmm. both dogs and cats dogs will let you pet their belly like they're a bit more trusting but i mean <laughs> all day but that that showing of the belly right is is about vulnerability it's it's that's that's their way of showing that they trust you or that they're being submissive depending on the scenario and so so the same i think can actually be true with humans you think like all our vital organs are are there and if you're developing Developing something around that, it's probably this manifestation of trying to protect and uh, something, or you know, of the manifestation of fear or or whatever it might be. So I think the mind-body connection is just so strong in both directions, right? Like the things that we do for the body and the things that the body does for us.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love, I love that. I love that like kind of. I don't know if this is the right word, like juxtaposition of it, yeah. of like us using an eating disorder to be heard is like our body using like an autoimmune disease to be heard. is just like we're, we need, we need someone to pay attention. And so mm-hmm. our body like I, I've always wanted to learn more about what you're saying with the yoga, like the different, I think you said chakras of like your hips or the drunk drawer and the lungs you said are where grief, grief. is stored and stuff. Yeah, like I, I've never known quite what the question to ask to find out the information I want to know about that. But I'm very interested because I... Um, I know a lot about, or my therapist talks a lot about like the body holding trauma in these different mm. ways of like, like we're in the middle of doing EMDR and do you guys do that over there? EMDR?
1: Yeah, I know about it. I've never done it myself, but yeah, we, it is, it is available in the UK as well.
0: Okay. Um, So it's just like, for those listening who don't know, it's like a form of trauma therapy. And when we're reprocessing the different images, she'll be like, where do you feel that in your body? And Mm. sometimes it's in my stomach or my chest or like sometimes even like my hands. And I find it so fascinating because it's like the body holds onto these things in this way that I didn't understand because I was seeing my body as just this object versus this like actual being that has memories and feelings and like needs. And so when you talk about that with yoga with like, I don't know, I'm so interested in yoga. I have been doing it for a while, but I've never learned like the actual meanings and whatnot behind. I've I've only learned like this is this pose and this is this pose and so (laughs) on and so forth, but I've never actually like studied
1: what yoga is and the different types you what was the kind of yoga that you said you practice so i teach something called kripalu yoga and i always make this really lame joke about it because kripalu is spelled k-r-i-p-a-l-u and so many people when they look at it they're like Cripple you? <laughs> I'm like, cripple you, yoga. <laughs> cripple your yoga. No, no? Uh, that is not what I'm here to do. Um, no, Kripalu yoga, I'm, I'm so grateful that I found it. So, Kripalu is this interesting mishmash, I would say, where there's some Kundalini and, and Hatha heritage to it. And Kripalu itself is this yoga that is based on this idea of mindfulness and compassion. And so it's, it's really all about listening to your body, but listening to it very compassionately and non-judgmentally, mm. um, which pretty much I think the whole world needs more of. So... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, And Kripalu is amazing as a as a place, Um, the actual facilities in Massachusetts. And, you know, they work with Harvard on neuroscience studies about meditation and the brain. And it's just it's this amazing place that is trying to, I think, bridge some of the gaps between between you know western medicine and an eastern philosophy and eastern knowledge of the body that are difficult to put into western terms in a way that westerners are ready to hear them
0: mm-hmm. yeah. okay that makes sense was there like a reason that you got into kripalu did i say that right mm, kripalu yeah <laughs> kripalu. okay just um, making sure not cripple you we're sure not about not cripple one. you <laughs> yeah um, oh gosh no, but I mean, was there funny. was there a reason that you got into that one specifically, or did it, uh, it kind of just you it kind just of just came
1: it. to me? I mean, the really honest answer is: so I did a master's degree in a very weird subject, uh, which is literature and medicine. So it was basically a medical humanities degree, and when I finished. I was really burnt out. My, my father had died the, uh, during my, or between my first and second year of my program. And I was just tired. And I think I realized that, um, like I, I, I had had plans to go on and become an academic and, and I just, I realized that that wasn't, my passion or my calling. And at that time in my life, literally the only two things that I could think of that made me actually feel good were my dogs and yoga. (laughs) And and so two beautiful things. Yeah. (laughs) Two beautiful things. And, and so I ended up, um, looking at yoga teacher training programs, not actually because I wanted to be a yoga teacher at that point, but just because I wanted the immersive experience and I wanted to understand more about the practice that I was doing. And I was broke though, because I just finished uh, this this degree. And Kripalu is one of the few places, at least at the time, um, that has scholarship programs. And so they gave me one of their scholarships to come and train with them. And, and so that's how I ended up there. And it's just, that was, I do think sometimes the universe has this amazing way of pushing us where we need to go, because this was 10 years ago now, and um, it just just it ended up becoming this main focal point of my life that i never expected it would
0: yeah oh wow that's that's really incredible Oh my gosh. So you said they work with Harvard in Massachusetts?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they, they just, they're, I don't know what they're working on right now, but they frequently are working with, with the neuroscience department at Harvard on studies about, again, about brainwaves and meditation and yoga and basically what these practices are actually doing to the physiological experience or are doing to these physiological aspects of our bodies.
0: Hmm. Okay, can you okay, so this is gonna be an attempt of me asking okay. a question that I don't know how to ask, but I know what I'm trying to <laughs> get to. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. So let's let's see if I could do it. Uh so you're talking a lot about like neurology and the brain waves and whatnot in relation to yoga and meditation, right? Mm. Um how would you let's see. How would you like say like if you have like an example of like a specific yoga pose or something, and how that would affect the neurology or the brain waves, or like what happens oh. in your body when you do different things in yoga or meditation?
1: So I think with meditation, we know that we we can see the brainwave shifts much more readily um, with regards to mindfulness meditation and even um, just. Uh, Gratitude meditations, actually. There's been interesting studies on the way that gratitude affects the brain. And of course, gratitude also affects our well being day to day, Um, which I guess you know, since you were listening to, it's very kind of you that you have been listening to (laughs) that that gratitude meditation that I put on Insight Timer a few years ago. Um, With regards to poses, I think it's trickier to talk about whether a pose would affect the brain. And I actually don't know of any particular study that says this pose does this particular thing for the brain um it's easier to talk about poses with regards to um obviously the the muscles and the skeletal system but also with regards to maybe how it affects certain organs um and uh, like um again coming back to this idea of the energetics just i think Unfortunately, when it comes to things like this, sometimes it's difficult to to make studies that are scientifically viable, that, you know, have double blinds or are um, repeatable. And the, so there's this joke in the medical community about how you're not really supposed to use anecdotes, right? And, uh, you know, particular stories about patients um, as examples of the way something works. And yet, if you go to a medical conference, it's like everyone's kind of like half asleep when someone's presenting (laughs) until they tell an anecdote. And then everyone wakes up because it's like, that's where it's interesting because we're humans and we are narrative-based. And so I know anecdotally, just in my... In in my teaching practice, I have come across a few people who had a lot of um, grief that they were definitely holding in their either in their lungs or their chest, and then certain poses would just make them cry, which is a fantastic thing because it's it's that starting of a release, and I don't know what that does to the brainwaves, but. I also know that I don't, that, you know, that saying that you always, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't feel better after a cry. <laughs> So, yes. yeah. And so, so yeah, so I, I actually, I, I, I wish I could, I wish I had something where I could go, yeah, this pose does this for, for your brain. But I think it's more the meditative quality of a yoga practice of, of being in your body of, of, of just dropping into the present moment, that that's where we see the effects on the positive effects on the brain waves.
0: So. Okay. That makes sense. So is kind of what you're saying, like, the meditation side of yoga, kind of similar to like just doing um, a meditation like the ones on Insight Timers so where we're just sitting still and listening to the guided meditation or um, the ambient sounds or something, that is actually what affects the brain during yoga well i think like, it's the if focus if you're in that mind
1: yeah it's the focus and and it's not just yoga or meditation that can do this because of course many things can be meditative um, if you're an oil painter that can be meditative i don't know if you've ever come across ramdas but he was this Amazing teacher. He died last year, and he he actually did all these studies on LSD and consciousness at Harvard in the 60s with Tim Leary, wow. and they were professors at Harvard. And unsurprisingly, they got booted out of Harvard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Harvard, Harvard wasn't <laughs> so happy at the time about uh, the the studies on LSD, um, That's funny. but. That's um, so funny yeah and uh, but ramdas ended up um, becoming this incredible honest personable teacher uh he LSD had basically opened up his mind and he went to india he ended up with a guru he didn't really want a guru but he ended up with one and that changed <laughs> his life and then he became ramdas and he wrote the book be here now which has sold millions of copies. And all that money that he made from it, he didn't actually make, he gave it away. And um, anyway, Ram Dass (laughs) is a very long-winded way of telling this amazing story, which is Ram Dass was talking about meditation once. And there was this old woman in the audience who looked nothing like the typical people in his audience. And she was just nodding and nodding and nodding about all of his conversation about meditation and LSD and consciousness. And he was just looking at her and, you know, you know, basically it's this room full of hippies. And then there's like this old woman and like looking like an old woman that is not part of the usual scene that's there. And he talks to her afterward and he's, he's like, are, so are you, are you really into meditation then? Because I saw you nodding. And she was like, oh, I just understood everything that you said. I just, every single point made sense to me because that is how I feel when I knit.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's
0: adorable. Yeah. But I, I. When I
1: knit. The way you said that was perfect. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, but I think it's true. I think just you know, some people, they meditate when they run and some people meditate when they knit and some people meditate oh. when they sit and when they do yoga. And I think it's just, I think it has something more to do with the energetic state that we bring ourselves to that, just that sense of presence and focus. So.
0: Okay. The ener- <laughs> that, I think that is probably what I'm trying to learn more on is the energetic type stuff. Is that kind of in this similar theme of like when people talk about chakras?
1: Yeah. I mean, I suppose when, when I'm saying this idea about focus, it's, it is more about presence. Whereas chakras are about the energetic system of the body. So, um, I, And anything within the yogic tradition is fraught with different sources, right? And so if you look at some sources that are a few hundred years old, they actually talk about multiple chakra points, way more than the seven that we talk about today, um, which are closer related to something called the nadis. Sorry, this is getting kind of technical, but basically the nadis are similar to the meridian lines in Chinese medicine. And so Mm -hmm. there's a, for example, there's a breathing exercise that you can do in yogic breathing or pranayama, and it's called nadi shodna. And it's this alternate nostril breath and in Ayurvedic medicine and in yogic traditions, it's believed that this breath helps to cleanse the, the nadi points throughout your body or the meridians throughout your body. And then, of course, the chakra points are those main points that basically run up the spine. Um, and they're each associated with different emotions. They're associated with different frequencies, actually. And... For some people, again, it all sounds a little um, far-fetched, but actually we are uh, across the board in the world starting to learn more about sound healing, for example. And we also know that glands and organs actually have vibrations. And so when we talk about frequency and sound healing of the chakra points, it's actually not as far-fetched as some people might think because you're talking about very particular parts of the body. Um, that like, so for example, the fifth chakra is associated with the thyroid. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's, It's sort of a minefield of information (laughs) to dig into, Um, but it's, you know, my friend Kate actually once said something to me that was one of the most helpful things that I ever heard, which is that everything is just a framework. So whether you're talking about the chakras, whether you're talking about Western medicine or Vedic medicine, yoga, religion you know, or or even something like uh, psychedelics, you're talking about frameworks for how to look at and approach life. And so if a framework like the chakra system is something that makes sense to you, then it's like, great, like dive into it. But if it doesn't make sense to you and something else makes more sense, like, okay, this this part of my body does this and uh, that's associated with this particular enzyme or 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 whatever you know and or or the gut bacteria for example we know that gut bacteria promotes uh well-being when our gut bacteria is happier (laughs) than when it's being overridden with bad bacteria and so it's it's just i think again it's it's the sense of what is the framework that calls to you and then that's where we start. So it's not that the chakras are right or wrong. It's just that it's one framework.
0: Mm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense and is actually really like encouraging to hear in a way because I've, I grew up, which I think you said something about this in your email, but I grew up uh, with very, very conservative mm. Christian parents. And so it was very much like, a, this is the one and only way that you can explain and understand life and everything outside of this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said that you you grew up, fu- your parents were like very fundamentalist, you said?
1: Well, my father, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to even describe because it changed over the years. But yeah, I mean, very conservative and very much this idea that women were subservient to men. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and you know, that the dudes could do what they wanted, but women uh. couldn't that that sort of thing. And yeah. um and I think growing up in that culture and also we talked a little bit about the uh, uh, this idea that, you know, I grew up in the US and then I left when I was 22. Like I literally left, I think, two weeks after my twenty second birthday, so fourteen years ago. and mm-hmm. i my perspective on the u s has changed a lot, and and I see things in such a different way. And one of the things that I do see is this insanely fearful culture that I grew up in and and it's like everything again like you're saying like there's like this dogma like there's a right way of doing it and nothing else is correct there's like Mm -hmm. this way and that's it and which is actually a brainwashing really Um, and and not allowing someone to find and experience the world the way that they experience the world and and it's a type of control uh, of other people Uh, Mm -hmm. so I just think um (sighs) Yeah, sorry, I got off track, but I think that's why it might be when, when we're struggling, say, with the body, it might then feel comfortable in this weird way to go, there has to be a right way of looking at this. I just have to find it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, oh, I just have to find the the right thing to do. If I just eat that superfood, or if I just uh just just cleanse my gut in this way, or or whatever. And it's because we grow up with that idea that there is like some absolute right way that you have to do things. And if you don't do things that way, then you're wrong. And the thing that I have found is that that's just not true. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, like yeah. there are so many things that that help people and that heal people across the world and to to think that there's like one right way is just doing such a disservice to everyone um yeah i don't
0: know (laughs) yeah yeah that that makes a lot of sense because i guess like from my backgrounds i guess like as an example at least speaking on what you're what you're getting at like i grew up In a similar way with you, as uh, my parents taught that, like, the men's, like, the head of the house, Mm -hmm. the woman's below, and, like, men can do this, woman can do that, and, like, women have to, like, cover up and hide our bodies, and that's just Mm -hmm. the way that it is. And we were taught a lot of, like, kind of, like, honestly taught to, like, be ashamed of our bodies and to not be too sexual, but don't be... Um, Too prude and like there were like these very very strict guidelines that didn't offer any sort of freedom for anything But I guess for this conversation specifically about like the body um, So hearing you talk about how your friend Kate mentioned like everything's just like a framework and there's all these different ways of, of seeing life and ways you can Express and experience your body and there's not this like black and white option that you have to choose between, but it just, it sounds so freeing because we're all so different. Like we're the same, but we're so different in how we experience life. And it's just not like a one size fits all type of thing.
1: No. And I mean, so I, I definitely have been better able to cultivate my own sense of spirituality over the years. Um, and again, that sort of Beautifully came through this idea of the body, and Ramdas actually has has this quote where he says there are many paths to God, and I don't even know exactly what I believe about all of this. But one of the things I, <laughs> another Ramdas quote is that he <laughs> said, "Yeah, I, I just love Ramdas." <laughs> I've never heard of him, oh, so I have amazing. a lot of reading to do. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> oh, beautiful. Wow. He, he's just beautiful. He's so honest and he just laughs all the time. And he one of the things um that he says at some point in one of his talks, um, I mean, there's a podcast of Ram Dass actually, but it's, they're just talks that have been from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s of his that have just been put onto onto podcast audios now. Um, mm. But one of the things that Ram Dass says also is this idea that everything is just God interacting with God. and mm. And I really personally have a feeling of that. Like, it's like when, when I become really present to the world, it's, it's actually really beautiful. Like everyone is beautiful. Everything is beautiful. And, you know, we, we sort of inherently know that it would be really boring if we were all the same. And yet, yeah, and yet we're, we're kind of taught to be like, to force ourselves into particular molds that might not be who we are. And for me personally, one of the things that I have really come to understand is that being myself and seeing the world the way that I do and interacting with the world in my authentic way is actually the greatest gift to the universe than me trying to be something I'm not or to find some right answer because actually it's all just experience. Like everything is just being here now and just experiencing being in your body and experiencing loving being in your body and even experience hating being in your body. Because when, you know, we would not understand light if we didn't have dark, right? Like if we didn't have night, we would not actually understand day. And so I actually think that when we go through these extremes, when when we feel like just so... I don't know, bereft or frustrated about our bodies, it actually paves this incredible path to loving your body and loving movement. Um, And it's just all part of experience, right? And so this idea that there's one right or wrong way, um, to me, is actually sort of a disservice to the spirit, because there, there, there's only experience. Our, you know? We're just experiencing this really strange planet. You know, whatever consciousness is, like we're just kind of here, <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 so to to be here with our experiences, um, I, I think is actually what matters even more than than trying to find any sort of correct way of doing anything. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. That is really, really, really wise. Oh, very, God. very wise. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I want to read everything Ramdas has written. How do you spell that?
1: It's R A M and then space D A S S. And right. the book Be Here Now is so trippy. It's so trippy. It's just like. Text and images and strangeness, and then he wrote a book. I actually wrote, not wrote. I read this book first, which is this book called "Living the Bhagavad Gita," which is the the Hindu sacred one of the Hindu sacred texts, Um, and it's called "Living the Bhagavad Gita: Paths to God," or no, the other way around, "Paths to God: Living the Bhagavad Gita," and Mm. that book was really helpful for me personally. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's just cool. There's a Netflix, uh, mini like 20 minute documentary that shows him toward the end of his life. He was living on Maui and he would, he'd had a stroke and just, he's, yeah, he's just a beautiful, beautiful being that encouraged everyone else to be their beautiful selves too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love the concept of the whole being here now and yeah. And what you said about that, I guess like we've talked about so many incredible things and I feel like that kind of ties everything together in a sense. Because when you think about like trying to ignore your body, uh, you can't really be present if you're trying to disconnect. It's kind of like just the opposite of connection. I feel like being present is connection, like connection with um, yourself or with
1: others. Would you agree on that? Absolutely. And I mean, being present, of course, also, like you say, it's, it includes being present to pain. It's, it's, mm. it's not ignoring. Ignoring is, is, <laughs> is disconnecting from the present. And, yeah. Yeah. Any, and that means any pain, right. Or any joy. And I think so often, so actually, so I've, um, I think we, we, we might've talked about this on email. I've just written a course for Insight Timer on the yogic philosophy of the yamas and the niyamas, which are like jokingly the 10 commandments of yoga. (laughs) And, And it's just these 10 ethical ideas, which sounds heavy, but it's not. And one of them is just simply acceptance. And, and that's it. It's just, that is the idea is that it's acceptance. And I think acceptance and presence are just intricately linked. And so it's, it's that when we are accepting whatever we're in, um, even if that's when we're really in the muck, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the muck of trying to figure out these bodies or, um, or their connections to the rest of us, um, that's, that's, I think where I mean, right. So like, shit's good fertilizer, right? So like, that's yeah. where the growth starts. <laughs> that's
0: true. Actually, I just learned about
1: composting toilets. So that's very true. <laughs> that's there you a really go. good time. <laughs> You can put a link oh for composting gosh. toilets in your podcast.
0: <laughs> I can and I will. That actually this whole podcast is just an ad for composting toilets. <laughs> Tricks on all of you for listening. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is super, super accurate. And the I think you we were talking about um our dads a bit in mm. the emails. And one of the things you said to me that just kind of made me want to cry. I love Mary Oliver, mm. and I don't read enough of her poetry. And you quoted one of her poems about Oh Mm. my gosh, do you remember exactly what it was? Someone gave me like a box of darkness. Do you want to say what it
1: was? Yeah, so, um, oh, the title's slightly escaping me. Something about sorrows. And she says, someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me me years to realize that this too was a gift.
0: Hmm. Okay, yeah. That is just so beautiful and true and just so true to the whole human experience. And yeah. I don't know. I hear so many stories, mine as well, of... Like, just the whole, like, what we were talking about of living disconnected from ourselves and from the present time and stuff, a lot of the time that starts out as, like, a way to just avoid pain. Like, maybe we experience something hard, whether it's, like, an abusive relationship or, like, a death or a trauma or something that we don't know what to do with that feeling, so then we just kind of escape it, and that becomes how we live life to get to the next moment.
1: and. It's So, and what's funny, right, is that sometimes we're so busy trying to get to the next thing that we're missing all of the good stuff, too. Um, Like, how often are we thinking about, say, for example, and this is about the body, actually, say, like, uh, thinking about what we're going to have for dinner. And then whatever we're doing at the time that we're thinking about what we're going to have for dinner, we're not really focusing on that thing. We're thinking, what am I going to have for dinner? Then during dinner, we're thinking, what am I going to have for dessert? Then during dessert, whoa, whoa, whoa uh, I really want that bath now. Like, you yeah. know, and it's like, oh, yeah. it's like we're, we're constantly missing the things that we were even looking forward to. So not only is it that we're not present to our pain, but I think often we're not even present to our joy. Um, mm. And so, I think the body is actually really fantastic for grounding us into the experience of being here now. like we we have these sort of dense forums on this dense planet. and and I see that because, you know, we're starting to understand that everything is waves, like even the table or whatever, you know, your microphone might be sitting on, even, even that is made up of waves. And so it's like, okay, so they're just dense waves. <laughs> and, and so it's like, you know, we have just this limited time here on, on earth and are we really going to spend it missing it? And so the body is kind of great, actually, at making us stop and go... No, smell this. Like, you know, like literally like smell the roses, but like, like taste this, smell this, like experience this, like cuddle your loved one, pet your dog. Like, I mean, what's more amazing than like petting a dog, you know? (laughs)
0: Nothing. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and
1: like all of these, these things are sensory experiences. I think are just these, almost like these sirens calling us to, to drop in, to just be here, just be here. That's it. Mm
0: -hmm. That's what I think. Wow, that's a really great way to explain, like, I don't know, just just about the body keeping you present. I've never really thought about it in that way, because if we were just, like, these minds, like, mind bubbles going around the world, like, how are you going to experience anything when you're missing all your senses, and you need your body for all your senses, and you need to be connected to, like, feel your senses, and, oh my gosh, there's just so much, so many things, Julie. This is, like... (laughs) I feel like I am reborn with so much information right now that I want to know more about. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Oh, okay, I have, like, two two more questions for you. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, um, is that cool? Yeah, of course. Okay, I guess my... One of them has nothing to do with anything we've been talking about, but one of them does, so I'm going to ask that one first. <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess kind of, like, tying all this... Together in a way, like, oh my gosh, just it our stories are so complex and our journeys and our bodies and all this is so complex. And I feel like my goal, like whenever um I hear, I think it might honestly be in your meditation. And I mm. that's so funny. I'm like fangirling over here about <laughs> listening to your insight timer. It's either that or yoga stuff that I've been doing, but they always ask you to like set this intention. Mm. Um, which I think you actually, I took a note on that too, where you wrote, start with an intention, whatever we practice, we get better at, yeah. I think you wrote. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever that's been happening lately, mine has always been um, connection, which mm. is has just been like my total theme throughout the past two years, I feel like. it, like. When I went into treatment for the first time, my therapist there, just every single session was like, oh, it's about connection. It's about connection. And I was like, oh my God, shut up. That makes it so much more difficult. Why can't you just give me like an A plus B plus C (laughs) thing? I was so annoyed at that word. And then I realized at the end, like, oh, it all really is about connection, (laughs) which like is where this whole podcast even came from. And so I guess this is like a long-winded way of asking you um, what, like, we've talked about so many good ones. Um, but I guess it today in your life when, cause you've worked so hard to, to become connected to who mm. you are and to your body. Um, What are ways that you, I guess, like, during times when it's, like, hard to be connected, like, this, we're living in such a hard time right Mm. now with the pandemic and with world politics and all these really terrifying things happening that sometimes we just want to escape, which is natural and okay. But what are ways that you bring yourself back, like, practical strategies that you have, whether it's, like, yoga techniques Mm. or... Um, hanging out with your
1: dogs, like you mentioned. like well, what yeah. are some things that you do? <laughs> that was actually the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> <as the dogs. laughs> I love it. Um, oh. so a couple things to say. Um, I, I just feel like I need to say this because I have a feeling that. You like so many people are probably hard on yourself um, in certain ways, uh, like we all can be. And you're saying like, oh, like this thing about connection is like really annoying. Like, stop it, <laughs> and like you know. And and then I was thinking about how one of the first things you and I connected over, just very briefly, was the fact that we both love dogs. And mm-hmm. it's like, you, it's like we have to stop and celebrate the things that we do because that's also again going back to being present and to actually seeing how far we've come. And so even, I mean, I, I know you've come further on your journey, but then even at the time when you were like, ah, shut up about this connection thing. (laughs) Um, I would bet everything I owned that you were still connected to your dogs. Um, and, and so, so I think it's, it's like, we have to pause and just really see from the outside, the ways that we're doing the work. And I know that typically we see how far we've come in hindsight, but that is part of being present is stopping and just seeing that, yeah, I'm on the journey and like, this is like some of what I'm doing right now. And, and that's, that's good. That part's good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah. And actually I think that is part of, I guess what I'm saying as a technique as well is, is just that, pausing. And of course, the breath is the number one technique for dropping into the present, just pausing, taking a deep breath. And actually, one of the ideas that occurred to me in the last few months that has actually really blown my mind is how connected we are to absolutely everything. And so by that, I mean, if you pause and look at something in front of you an object so say a microphone i'm assuming there's a microphone in front of you if you think about all the people that went into making that possible that that's in front of you it's it's innumerable. I mean, like the people who, who gathered the metals, the people who designed it, the people that made all of the technology, the people who transported those things, um, the fact that you had to earn the money somehow to then buy it. Um, and, and even the fact that 50% of the oxygen on the planet comes from the ocean. From, comes from photosynthesizers in the ocean, like phytoplankton. So, like even if you're, you know, even if you're in like the desert, you are still part of a global ecosystem. And so, I think, it, especially during the pandemic, it's helpful to pause and think that we are connected to so many beings who have lived before and might not even be alive now, um, through their ideas, through their technologies. And we are connected to so many people we will never meet. Like who, who made your clothes? You probably don't know them and yet you wear these clothes. And Mm -hmm. so I think, I think just remembering the ways that we are connected, even when we're feeling disconnected, that's one. And then of course, connecting to animals, obviously (laughs) that's, that's like top priority in my world, but then, you know, also then that again, just connecting to the breath. So breath animals, and then just being aware of everything in your surroundings and how deeply that connects you to, to the whole, uh, the whole planet, the whole ecosystem of everything really.
0: Wow. That is a beautiful answer that I have not heard anyone say anything close to that on this podcast. <laughs> and I'm so, I love that. Oh, just dear. like really zooming. I don't know if it'd be zooming out or zooming, in, probably zooming out to see like, even just how you talked about who made my clothes and who made this microphone and how kind of. Looking at the things that we are connected to, just as is, that's really, really great. That probably ties really well in with um, your gratitude practices and stuff, and just recognizing like what is in front of us.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I actually take the gratitude—that's horrible. I was just say I think I take the gratitude practice for granted in a way because (laughs) not because I, I, I don't do it, but because actually that is the nature of a practice, right? Like when we practice something, it starts to become part of us and uh, yeah, it is very much uh, yeah connecting into the breath, connecting into what we have and and doing it with that sense of of gratitude and awe, just this awe mm-hmm. of oh my God, what, what what is this life thing that we're doing here right now? Okay so mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, that is amazing, amazing, Julie. Before I ask you this last question, okay. uh, my girlfriend recently got home, and I'm dying for you to like, kind of talk meet her just because you guys share <laughs> Quasimodos. <Okay. laughs> Can I have her come say hi? Of really, of course, of course, of course. Okay, okay. Kaylee, will you come in here? <laughs> She is not expecting this. Will you Hi, meet Julie? Yeah. <laughs> okay. She has Quasimodos.
2: Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> She's Hi, Julie. I hear you have the elusive Quasimodos, yeah, too. Yeah, I do.
1: <laughs> when when oh were my- you diagnosed with it?
2: <laughs> uh, last year at, like, was it October or November? Oh, Somewhere sh- in there. Time. Yeah.
1: So this is new oh for you. Oh, my gosh.
2: It's very new, Uh yeah. How are you
1: finding it?
2: Um, I don't know. I, I've, with the changes I've made and I'm on, um... Synthroid, so mm-hmm. the medications helped yeah. a lot. Oh, with the changes I've made, I cut out gluten. Yep. I heard. Out together. We talked about gluten. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's sad. She lives in <laughs> Italy. Yeah. Oh, no. she's oh, <laughs> there right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Um, <laughs> um, but with cutting out gluten and um, and then also taking the meds, it's been helping a lot. Mm. I notice I still have, which I'll probably have forever, but I have, like, good days and bad days. Yeah. Um. Some days I'm like, oh, wow, why do I feel like somebody just drained all the life out of me? Mm. <laughs> um. I, I mean, but-
1: I've been dealing with it for a long time. Oh, I have to do the math. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm 36 and I got it at 14. So like 22 years. Um, oh, wow. And so oh, wow. you
2: got diagnosed early.
1: Yeah. But what the one thing that I have definitely found is that I think the first few years are the hardest in a way because sometimes they have to change your meds and you might end up, um, finding that there are different things that work for you or certain foods that trigger certain things like dairy is also something that isn't so great with it. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think just Jackie and I've been talking a lot about being present. So it's just like that thing (laughs) of like being present to the experience (laughs) and then responding to it. Yeah. but yeah it can it can take i think a few years for it to kind of Balance itself out in a way.
0: Well, Julie, you've been so lovely. I was so excited when I heard Kaylee get home because when she told me, she just said, "You said originally you had an autoimmune disease." Yeah. And I was like, "Wait, what is it?" And then when (laughs) you said Hashimoto's, I was like, "Oh my gosh, Kaylee has that." (laughs) I do. I have that. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. But okay. (laughs) Anyway, my one, my you can stay for. Whoops, hold on. My headphone came out. Okay, my the last question I have for you, I. Kaylee loves this part of the podcast. You can stay if you want. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll stay. Um, but, Julie, would you rather? I have to think of this question because oh, I did not prepare. So, here we go. Let's see what happens. Um, would you rather have a pet seal who. Wait, sidebar really quick. Have you seen Perry the. or um, Phineas and Ferb? No. Okay, good. For those of you who've seen Phineas and Ferb, (laughs) you'll know what I'm getting at. (laughs) Um, Would you rather have a pet seal that was a secret detective (laughs) that went and, like, solved all the world's problems, but constantly fighting bad guys, really, really good at it, but... You weren't supposed to know that he's a secret detective. So he doesn't think you know, and you have to pretend you don't know, but you do. So, like, it's kind of just this, like, in the back of your mind, you're like, my pet seal is a badass solving problems, fighting crime, but you can't tell your friends. Like, no one else gets to know about this. (laughs) You can't even talk to your seal about it. Okay. Would you rather that or everywhere you went, you had to fly on a... um, Have you seen another sidebar? (laughs) Have you seen Hocus Pocus?
1: Oh, many years ago. Yeah, I liked it when I was a kid.
0: Oh, so funny. Do you remember the part of the movie where they're flying and one of the witches, I don't remember what her name was. She had the brown hair. She didn't have a broom, so she had to fly in a vacuum cleaner.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay.
0: Okay. Which you rather? The seal thing or everywhere you go, you have to, <laughs> have to go on a transportation. vacuum transportation. Yeah, like fly in a vacuum cleaner. And if you're afraid of heights, we can figure that out. You can like the vacuum cleaner can use wheels, but you can
2: stand on it like a
0: scooter. <laughs> yeah, like a scooter. And it's a super cool vacuum. It's like got flashy lights, Damn. it's got Bluetooth speakers, it's like really cool, but it's your only option. <laughs>
1: Oh god, I can see how both are gonna get me like internationally in trouble, right?
2: Internationally,
1: absolutely. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to be on the planet much longer in either case. Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so, okay. So, originally, I thought, like, how are you going to top the seal thing? Like, because, like, yeah, would you rather, cool. re- like, of course, like the seal thing you're going <laughs> to go with. But I actually think that I'm going to choose the vacuum cleaner because <gasps> why? Because. <laughs> I am ridiculously sensitive to animals and I okay. would be constantly worried about my seal. I would oh I would I would be gosh. worried that like he was going to get hurt or like he was going to die or someone was going to do something really bad to him and like I think you know as zen and yogic as I have tried to help myself become over the years I don't think I would be able to handle it. I would just be like all, like even having cats that go outside for like the first few years caused me in like anxiety beyond belief. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. it <laughs> so, makes so much sense. So, so I think the vacuum cleaner, it would be like, I'd, I'd have to like, you know how they do like the, 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 um, like the SUP, the, what are they, what are those called? The, the, the paddle boards. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you know how they do like the yoga on the sup yoga, like the paddleboard yoga. I think I would like have to find a way of doing like flying vacuum yoga then.
0: Oh my. Oh, wow. That is a skill. You were gonna get rich and famous
1: that. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Before the NSA takes it all away.
0: <laughs> oh yes, there you go. You could just buy yourself a cool seal with protection after that happens. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. She so we Kaylee shares our love of dogs yeah. deeply, deeply. So she's a very big animal lover. Really quick, what's oh. your what's your enneagram number?
1: what oh, oh no the, oh, okay I was no, like, no no no. Oh. i know what you're talking about the okay. are you talking about like the enfj infj thing is that, or no no that's
0: the myers-briggs the enneagram it'll give you a number between one and nine
1: oh, okay no i don't know it
0: okay well i'll we have to do it, about it and, later. And, and, like, i'll have to do it yeah. i'll get back to you
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh okay definitely do that wait what is your myers-briggs i'm curious
1: well, I, I mean, Myers-Briggs has issues, right? But like yes, I, so when I did it in high school, I was ENFJ, but then a few years ago I did it and I was INFJ.
2: Oh my gosh. That's mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <Thank you. laughs>
2: that makes sense.
1: I feel, oh, I feel like go. I am an extroverted <clears throat> introvert. I don't know if you feel similarly, mm-hmm. but.
2: Yeah, sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. <laughs> sometimes you're so, just straight in Sometimes <laughs> I like, I don't want to do anything around anyone ever.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, my so. gosh. Well, Julie, it has been so, so, so much fun. Talking mm. to you, I feel like I just made a friend on the other side of the globe. <laughs> That's so fun.
1: Yeah. You're, well, you have to come to Italy. I mean, you know yes. you have to anyway. So Absolutely.
0: Just- Kaylee can eat the bread there, maybe.
1: Maybe. I'll about it later. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We'll, we'll experiment.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: that's what okay. I do. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You have to. Are Are you full time in Southern Italy or? No, is that no, no. I
1: we my my boyfriend is Italian and we, um, we've been here a lot this, this last year because of the pandemics. Um, so we were here for three months in the summer and we came for Christmas and then the UK went into lockdown, which is where we usually live. So we usually live, mm-hmm. uh, between Oxford and London and like he lives part-time in London and I live full-time in Oxford. And, um, yeah, and we just, because the UK is not doing too well at the moment. We just decided to stay here because they're not in lockdown here at the moment. So we're still like relatively free.
2: (laughs) Mm. What's that like? (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's no, it's good. It's good. Although they were in lockdown over Christmas because, um, Christmas obviously is a pretty big holiday in a Catholic country. And so like you, we weren't allowed to go see his grandparents, his aunts and uncles, like, no. You had you were not allowed to do that this Christmas. So but I think they it paid off because they had the lockdown during that time and now they're like one of the only European countries not in lockdown. (laughs)
0: So good for them. Who knows? Yeah. Well, when the world gets somewhat normal. We are 10 out of 10 trying to go to Europe. So
1: definitely. Wherever
0: you are between those places or if you're in both, um, yeah, or, you know, that you're welcome, costful. you're welcome
1: in <laughs> either. You're welcome yes. to come.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, we'll go explore all the bread together. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll eat it all and you guys can try it. <laughs> That's me, and my fif- <laughs> me and my 15th cousin. My boyfriend, we've decided possibly is my 15th cousin because oh, He's Italian, and I'm kind of Italian. (laughs) (laughs) That works out. (laughs) Makes sense. Oh, just knocked my whole mic. Um, But anyway, yes, yes, you are amazing, Julie. How do people find you and your work and your
1: everything? Like,
0: What do you want to plug in here? Give me all the things. Okay,
1: so I mean, I think the easiest way to find me and my work is probably the meditations and the course on yogic philosophy that is coming out on the 9th of February. That's all on Insight Timer. Um, So you can, I can send you the link for that. Um, But yeah, so that's under Julie, ELA, E-L-A, Grace. And you can find me um, on social media under that name as well, though I'm not, particularly prolific with social media. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I think Insight Timer is probably the number one way. And uh, I'm currently revamping a website, which will also be under that name in the very near future. So, <laughs>
0: okay. Is that the website that I stumbled
1: upon? No, I'm I'm making a new one that is sort of combining my yoga and writing and meditations (gasps) all into one website. So that's going to be julieelagrace.com, but I'm guessing it's going to be another month before that launches. So
0: okay, well, keep us posted. Sure. I'm going to put that. Is it cool? Should I put that link below so if a month passes and it happens, people can find it?
1: <laughs> sure. I mean, that will give me motivation, <laughs> won't it? Like finish it.
0: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, to do this now. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Sorry to give you an accidental deadline, but we're all so excited.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so okay, okay. good. Thank
0: you yes well i will put all of that in the description box below and yes please send me that link i'm not kidding everyone listening you can ask kaylee i listen to your meditations like almost every morning Mm -hmm. i I listen to the nighttime one too i think Mm -hmm. um yes they are so lovely so thank you for all of your yeah all of your words and work and um you teach yoga, is that just on the Insight Timer or where? No, no, I teach yoga I on Insight
1: that? Timer and I also teach, um, well, that has been the blessing of the pandemic is now I teach online as well through Zoom. So those are through my website. Um, so yeah, so you can find me for teaching yoga either on Insight Timer or also just on my normal website. And uh, yeah. <laughs> the,
0: one, the one that I did stumble upon?
1: Well, I have two. Um, I have a I have a yoga website which is sanctuarygrace.com. and that is what most of my yoga clients know, and that's where they come to me for yoga. Um, and then I also have my writing website, um, which is under my my uh, given surname, Belitho. But I don't use that really anymore because it's rather unpronounceable. Um, <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Okay, amazing. Well, I will also put those below and we will be visiting them myself. So, oh,
2: thank
0: you. Ju- yes, of course, Julie, thank you so much again for spending your evening with us. Now, I don't want to ask how late it is over there. I'm curious. So how late is it? It is
1: 11.01. <laughs> oh,
0: boy. Okay. So Well, right. I'm glad that you said you like the night times, I do. I
1: do. <laughs> I am not a yogi in that traditional way of like people who get up at five or 6 a.m. and do yoga. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand So, that, so.
0: <laughs> I got you. But thank you for spending your, your night with me and for sharing all of the really wonderful things. I can't wait to put this out. And I can't oh, wait to hopefully someday be on that side of the world Yay! and get to say hey. Yeah. Well, if we come to Nashville, it. we'll
1: have to see you too.
0: Oh, please. Yeah, we're actually, I don't know how much longer we're going to be here. We're about to renovate an RV and travel around the country. And Kaylee's a travel nurse. So somewhere in the U.S., wherever you end up, maybe we'll just drive to you.
1: Sounds good.
2: (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. But you have a wonderful rest of your night. And I will talk to you and hear your voice on Insight Timer and all the other things.
1: Thank you so much. All right. We'll have a beautiful rest of your night, too. (laughs) We will. Bye.